want to invite my husband, Glenn, up, who's going to lead this discussion, and all the rest of our panelists, come on up. Thank you. Thank you, all of you, for being here today. Glenn's going to start leading the discussion, and he's going to give all of you an opportunity just to say a little bit about yourself before we get into the conversation. Well, good morning, friends. How are we doing? Good. Um, I want to just say kind of a few um, opening thoughts, and then I want our panel to introduce themselves and tell us a bit about who they are and what they do. Um, the, the, the first thing I want to talk about is um, why a discussion like this? So why a conversation like this? And so it's very easy in our climate today to frame this um, by one political narrative or another and to say, okay, this is about power dynamics, or this is about left versus right, or this is about tribalism and all of that. And so I just want to frame it for us theologically for a moment. Um, and to, 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 one of the quickest ways to frame something theologically is to, is to look at the bookends of the Bible. And so the first thing we need to say is that um, diversity is an expression of the creativity of God. And so that Genesis has uh, a multitude, a, a range of difference and diversity in creation as part of the design of God, which means uh, the way that we reflect God's glory um, is by us being the way that he has made us. And that's true of any different feature of, you know, who we are, whether that is uh, personalities or whether that's ethnicities or um, all of those kinds of things. So if you think of it like a stained glass window, that's the picture here. We don't all need to be uh, particular hues in the stained glass window. We need to each in our own way reveal and reflect uh, the radiance and the glory of God. Does that picture help? The second um, bookend of the Bible picture is the book of Revelation. Um, A quick Scan, which I know not all of us, you know, read the book of Revelation, maybe devotionally, we're like, maybe we'll skip that one, you know, but a quick skim of some of those scenes in heaven, and you instantly recognize that every tribe and tongue is there. And the observer to this heavenly vision, John, um, is immediately able to discern that every tribe and tongue are there. And that's a huge thing, because I think our impression is that our earthly bodies are just for this kind of moment, and then in heaven we'll sort of become glowing orbs of light, and yeah, just kind of floating around, and it, it doesn't matter, so why are we squabbling about this stuff? It doesn't matter. Actually, the Bible's vision of the end is resurrected bodies, and not just resurrected bodies, but resurrected bodies that continue to reflect every nation, tribe, and tongue. Does that make sense? So there is something about not just God's creational design, but the goal of redemption is not to erase difference and diversity. Okay, so I'll say that again. If diversity is a reflection of the creator's creativity, then in the end, diversity is redeemed because redemption's goal is not to erase it. So right in the middle then uh, of, of the gospel is Jesus tearing down every wall. So what we have is not the elimination of difference, but the elimination of division. Does that make sense? The the, the elimination of division, not of difference. So one kind of popular way to approach diversity conversations is to say, oh, I I don't see color. I'm colorblind. That's actually not a Christian approach to this. 
Um, because now we've flattened everybody else into just sort of one kind of um, indistinct category. That's not the Christian response. Um, so our goal today is not that we would be walk away from you and be like, I'm colorblind. Nope. Our goal is actually that we learn to see through someone else's eyes, that we get to see with a different lens. So with that, uh, having, with that sort of setup, I would love for our panel to introduce themselves. Maybe Melissa will start down here. Sorry. I'm taking notes. <laughs> okay. Uh, just so. tell, yeah, tell us a bit about yourself, name, um, what you do if you'd like, and, um, and then I'll get into some other questions that will... Uh, help. Yeah. Yeah. Good morning. My name is Melissa Bass. I know a lot of you. I go to New Life Downtown. Um, I'm a mom of four and married for nine years. We've lived here for today, three years exactly. We moved here three years ago. Um, and I homeschool my kids. And I grew up in Washington State, Pacific Northwest. And um, yeah, I get really excited talking about this stuff. Hi, my name is Vicki. It's nice to meet all of you. Um, I'm from California, uh, but I met my husband, who's from Colorado Springs, five years ago. We got married, moved here, and um, yeah, it's been super awesome. Um, Korean-American, born and raised in the States. My husband is an immigrant, so um, it's interesting. You know, ethnically, we're similar, we're the same, but we have a lot of differences as well, which is always fun to talk about. Um, my background is in education. I worked in education for 15 years, and now I'm a stay-at-home mom of two kids, four and two. Hi, my name is Hope LaMonica. Um, I was so excited when I got invited to this because these are topics that I have all the time on Facebook and with my friends. Um, so opening those doors. So thank you for the invitation. Um, I've been in Colorado since 2005. I have two beautiful daughters, um, 29 and 22, and they are biracial. So this is these are conversations that we have all the time um, in our home as they were growing up. Um, I work for Davida. I work in healthcare, and that's it. Hi, everyone. My name is Anna Tamaris. I am a pastor in Iglesia Nueva Vida with my husband. This beautiful, handsome man. Um, we, <laughs> We're off to a good start. I didn't get that introduction from my wife. I don't Learn, girls. <laughs> so um, I am born and raised in the Dominican, Dominican Republic. Um, I have four beautiful girls um, who are biracial also. And Sarah is my niece, and she's my daughter, too. She came to live with us when she was really young. And now she's married, and I have three girls. I have identical twins, and I have three of them are in college already. Um, I love what we do, and I am so grateful for this opportunity because we together have the opportunity to bring awareness mm. and together um, raise a different generation with a different mindset. So thank you so much, Pastor Glenn and Holly, for the invitation, and I let you. Uh, <laughs> and the beautiful husband. <laughs> 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 My name is Jeremiah, I'm Pastor of Nueva Vida. Uh, we have 18 nations in one church. Even they all Latin, uh, American, but um, I think um, I write in a book saying, um, even though we speak Spanish, 
I can understand you. Because even though they um, Latin American, sometimes we can, they say things I, I didn't know. And um, it's amazing to have this kind of conversation, even though my first language is Spanish. But you're so kind. You understand me? Don't be there to say no. Right? So I'm so glad to be here and to bring some lights and some questions and some, I think uh, the best thing to have a um, seat scales at my house. Pray for me, okay? (laughs) Is to see how they think and how we can manage and navigate all these difficult questions. Thank you so much for having us. You have a name? Yeah. (laughs) So I'm Sarah, and I work down at Nueva Vida. I'm here to translate, but he did very good. So there's that. Okay, we're going we're gonna to dive right in here, and we don't have to go down the line on this and, and on some of these questions. Feel free if you're like, I don't know that I have anything to add to this. You're okay. But I, I, I know that all of us would love to hear from each of you on these uh, questions. So the first one, and this is maybe a little bit abstract, but what is helpful and unhelpful about race as a category? So when we start to talk about this as a category of race, what's helpful about that? What's unhelpful about that? Who wants to? Okay, Hope. You got your notes? I see your notes. (laughs) Um, Some of these questions were really um, thought-provoking. I really had to think about them. Um, And I see in America that we use that question, race. We want to know what race someone is. Other countries don't use that as much. And I see the good and the bad with that. Um, I see where, you know, they want to know someone's race for the prison system so you can know how many black prisoners or Hispanic prisoners or white prisoners you have and what good does that really do us Um, I see also in the schools the schools break our children down by their race my two daughters are half black and half white so I always check that box for both the school system counted them as white here so and I changed that I made some phone calls but (laughs) But, you know, those are things that, does it serve a purpose? Um, I don't think it does. I Mm. think that, yes, we need to see each other for who they are, but does it make a difference on um, how we do certain things in this life? Everyone should be treated equally, no matter if they're black, white, Asian, or Hispanic. Yep, it's very good. Thank you. I will speak a little bit to the data analysis part of it, though, because um, I have the same reaction whenever I have to check off a box. For me, it's just Asian. Mm-hmm. But, you know, there are a lot of different cultures and yeah. nations under the title of Asian, right? But from a, let's say, district school district administrator's perspective, the data can be very helpful um, as we look at it we can see how there might be some disproportionalities or some biases. For example, if you look at the state of California, 
for whatever reason, in fourth grade, the majority of the kids that get designated as special education happen to be a minority, people of color, boys. Why? Now, a lot of teachers, if you ask them up front, like, why do you think this is? Well, it's the culture. It's the home culture. Well, I don't think that's enough of an answer. I think that's a cop-out, right? So then we really, as administrators, have to sit at the table and go deeper. What's happening in the classroom? How are we not meeting the needs of specific? How are these kids maybe invisible in the classroom? Yeah. It's good. I would like to add to that that race is man-made. It's not God-made. It was uh, race speaks of the color of your skin, and it it was used to segregate and sometimes oppress. So when we are viewed by our race, um, we immediately what that does is that the people see your color, mm-hmm. not who you are, your character, mm-hmm. your values, your morals. Um, right away, you everybody views you how you look, and that's unfair. So I understand the benefits and um, in structure and sure. organization, yeah. but when you're relating to someone yeah. because of how they look like, um, mm-hmm. that's not fair. Yeah. And that's not God's um, idea mm-hmm. uh, for humanity and mm-hmm. for loving one another and accepting one another. So it's important that we teach our kids that, you know, we raise, per se, let me explain, let me put you a little bit in my shoes. Yeah. I am Latino and, and I am. I'm not really dark. I am called light-skinned, something like that. Um, if we are to fill out that form, I don't find a place for me. Yeah. Because there's not, Hispanic is not considered a color. It's an ethnicity. And it's, ethnicity speaks about your background, your yeah. morals. But race speaks about my color. So where am I? Who am I? Yeah. What am I telling the, my kids who are yeah. the mix of my I husband and I? Funny story about that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, I was filling out a form in the DMV. And I saw the questions black, white, the, the boxes, and I went ahead and checked the box for black. Y la persona que estaba viéndome me vio hablar eh, español. And the person that was looking at me saw that I spoke Spanish. Y me dijo, tú no eres negro, tú eres hispano. And they said, you're not black, you're Hispanic. Después de 30 años yo me di cuenta que yo no era negro. After 30 years I realized I wasn't black. <laughs> so, <laughs> eso es exactamente lo que hace. That's exactly what Race does. And we're being victimized by that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely. Mm-hmm. It's good. Anyone else? Anyone else? Melissa? Oh, oh, yeah. Sure. Just a little, I didn't share my ethnicity, <laughs> um, which is, tells that. a little bit about myself. Um, I, I was raised not really thinking much about my ethnicity, which I think can be good and 
not so good at times when you become an adult and you realize you're in a world where everybody's thinking about it. Um, so I am, I just actually did a DNA test this year and um, confirmed that I am mixed with European and African American. Um, but most of my life, I didn't know exactly what I was. And I got that question a lot. So, um, you know, what are you? I don't know, but I'm going to guess and I'm going to write this down. And so, um, it was always tricky for me. You know, I am, I just thought, well, I'm mixed. I'm mixed. Aren't we all mixed with a bunch of things, you know? And so, um, always tricky, always kind of challenging for my teachers. I, I definitely got told before, you know, well, everyone's going to view you as black Melissa, you know? So it's like, oh, I didn't realize that. And so, um, now my husband is mostly Swedish. Um, he, he's white and our kids have variants of colors. And so when I'm marking a box for them. It's so tricky. It's like, and um, we, you know, we were told that we, the kids are in a talent agency and uh, you have to submit, you know, what they are. And so I wrote back and told the talent agency because she said, well, they'll be viewed as white. You know, that's what they'll be portrayed as. I said, well, they're not, you know, they, they do have a lot of different ethnicity in them. And so I think it does get tricky with, trying to identify with something that I think what Anna's saying is a worldly standard. You know, it's yeah. like we're trying to fit into a box that we really weren't created to fit into. So let's talk about that for a moment, okay? So some of you, maybe you're puzzled by that. You're like, I don't understand. Well, how is this a man-made thing? I thought so. Um, it, it's worth thinking about a couple things. One, uh, when the concept of race sort of got introduced, and there's there's definitely some reading you can do about this, um, uh, I, one of the books I read earlier this year is a book called Empire, and it was about the history of the British Empire. And there was a, a British social scientist in the mid-1800s who introduced the theory of race at a Oxford Scholars Society, and he was basically laughed out of the room. They said, oh, that, that you can't categorize people that way. 20, 30 years later, it became all the vogue. Why? Because it justified... Um, how the British acted in Africa. So the slave trade's over, but that doesn't mean you couldn't come in with your guns and armies and take over uh, whole, whole countries in Africa. So by the late 1800s, you do have race theory and something called the color bar. And some of you heard me allude to this in church a couple... Siri didn't catch that. I wasn't talking to you. Um, <laughs> But you, you, do, you do get introduced to something called the color bar in the late 1800s, where essentially, during, it's not an accident that it gets introduced during the age of European exploration, which is a euphemism of saying uh, European conquest, right? Uh, if you've ever heard the Native American speaker, Mark Charles, he's a bit provocative, very provocative, but he says, I don't know why in our history books this is called the age of discovery. Like, if you left your iPhone on the table and went to the bathroom and I discovered it and took it home, I can't call that discovery. I call that theft, you know? But when our history books talk about um, exploration and discovery, it's as if no one else was there in those countries, you know? So we have to understand that while this age of quote-unquote exploration and discovery, or better called conquest, was happening, there was also the introduction of justifying theories. One of those theories was race. And so the color bar ranked people by the color of skin, and the darker the skin you were, the less right you had to anything. The more... Um, 
primitive you were, and so therefore you just didn't understand civilization or society. Uh, I think they were doing pretty fine for a lot of years, you know, but all of a sudden things were not um, deemed okay. So, um, so that's why race is a complicated category, and it's not just because of stories of which box to check, and it is true what Hope said. There are a lot of countries around the world that don't require any box checking. We have a New Life downtowner who is ethnically Chinese, but nationality of his parents was Indonesia, but actually he grew up in the Netherlands. And he said, the only thing I had to check was, I'm Dutch. You know, and you're like, well, I, I mean, yes, you are Dutch, right? But he's like, only in America do people say, but what are you actually? Yay. You know, uh, and so that's something to think about. Um, so what might be some other categories? What might be some other categories? Let me throw a few out there. Let me see if the panel wants to add to this. I think, I think you can talk about culture. I think you can talk about, like even, Vicky, I'd love to hear your comments about even for you and your husband. You're saying your husband's, you know, you might be ethnically similar but culturally different. Yeah. And so I'd love to hear your comment on that. Culture is a way, language is a way to talk about it. You talked about speaking Spanish. Um, families are another, are a more specific way of talking about Tell me about your family. Um, uh, geography can be a way of mapping this to say, so b back in the day, originally, where does this come from? So even you saying Swedish, you know, um, it is interesting when you travel in Europe because ethnicity is bound so closely to geography, people can speak of, oh, that's just the Scots. Oh, those are the Irish, you know. But America is a unique country in that people came from all over. And so which ethnic normativity or which cultural normativity gets to be the standard? All right. And you know, I, I, I shared that I moved to Colorado Springs five years ago. And so I'm meeting a lot of new people. But it's really interesting to me that a lot of the first questions I get are, where are you from? And what is your nationality? I was born in Kansas City, Missouri, y'all. <laughs> Um, but, you know, what really is that question, right? Um, but I think as Americans, it's so much a part of our culture that if I look something other than white, I must be from another country, right? Yeah. Anyone want to add to that? Yeah. Yeah. Um, I, it happens to me all the time. My, my hair naturally is curly, and people, when I have my hair curly, they're like, um, oh, my God, that hair. <laughs> Is that your hair? And I'm like, um, yes, it's my <laughs> hair. You know, my girls go through these all the time. Um, one, my, my little one has a huge afro. And people want to touch her hair. They're like, can I touch her hair? I've been in stores. And this is a real story. We went to Walmart one day. And, uh, and this lady comes and says, can I touch your hair? And my daughter's like, mm, no. And I'm like, well, you have to ask her. I don't want to violate her like that. And my daughter said, no, no, please. And the lady was like, okay, and she left. And we left, too. We walked away. That lady came running, running with all her might from, like, three or four um, um, lanes, and she was, like, touching my daughter's hair. I just needed to do it. I've never seen something like this. And my little girl was so violated. Oh, my God. And she was like, and I was like, Hannah, it's okay. You're special. You're beautiful. People don't get to see this all the time. But it's, yeah. And, and I had to explain to my daughter, you know, we are different. 
And, and it's nice and it's interesting, but we had to be aware how we're making people feel, mm. you know, just because we don't look the same. Yeah. yeah. I was just going to say my daughter's kind of the same thing when they were young. They have naturally ringlet curls or they have it straight. And people used to come up to me and they would go, what are they? And I'm like, they're children of God. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And Amen. so that was my answer for that. If I could just share one more story. Um, Another question that I get often, especially in grocery stores for whatever reason, um, or not question, but comment is, oh, your daughter is so cute. She makes me want to adopt from China. Now, the first time I just kind of like, okay, whatever. It happens a lot in this town. And, you know, I have to really kind of, you know, walk it back. Because I think adoption is a beautiful thing. Yeah. It's a God thing. And I think that, yes, there are so many girls in China that need to be adopted into a forever home. But why are you saying that? Looking at my daughter, <laughs> you know. Um, so the, the question two and three on, the, on our list today was, have you ever been made to feel like an outsider? And you're already beginning to answer that. The related question was, as someone who might find themselves or does find themselves as an mi- uh, ethnic minority in Colorado Springs, what would you want people from majority culture to know? And how would you want them to act maybe differently? So you can comment on any of those, any parts of those questions, but I just want to get the dialogue going a bit more here. So I think the answer is in the room somewhere as we dialogue about how to raise children um, that are sensitive to these kinds of things and ultimately be about people of Christ, sharing the love of Christ and recognizing that you know, Jesus' body was broken for us and his blood was poured out for us. You know, his blood makes us brothers and sisters regardless of what we look like on the outside. Um, but, yeah, it's, it's challenging for me as I am now beginning to see my four-year-old daughter wrestle with her looks. Um, this summer uh, at one of the child cares that we attend regularly, um, I picked her up. And the first thing she asked me when we got in the car was, Mom, do I have a flat face? Now, she's in a group with four other four-year-olds. So, and you know, for me growing up, that was very much an epithet towards Asian people. You have a flat face, you know? But I'm trying really hard not to project my feelings onto her. And I'm just asking her, you know, oh, that's interesting that you would say that. Like, what happened? What would what makes you even worry about that or think about that? She just burst into tears. And she said that the boys and the girls and the boys and the girls were touching her cheeks and saying that she had a flat face. And um, yeah, it's it's what do you do with that? And how do you raise your children so that... Because I, you know, my husband and I talked about it for a long time. Do we really think that these other four-year-old kids were racist or malintentioned? I don't think it really matters, really, because what matters most to me is what's happening in her heart. So how do we raise our children to be more sensitive to these kinds of things and to be like Christ 
So if you could, if you could talk to those parents, what would you say to them when you were not mad? You know. Well, I was you know gonna say. say. <laughs> I mean, don't tell me what you'd really say to them, but you know, like if you could say, "Hey, here's a little coaching on." I'm still wrestling with it. I love this question because um, he gives us an opportunity to speak life into something that is really dark. Um, I would say from my perspective and as a Hispanic, um, it's assumption, the big word. Um, we are so broad. Hispanic, we, we have many nations and we are all different. And I think it has to do a lot with sometimes privilege um, makes things that we all have it as easy as you. And it's not like that. You know, we have to struggle a lot. Also, we don't all come from the same background. I didn't cross a river of frontier to get here. I am here for different reasons. My father just decided to um, bring us here. And, you know, we, I, I was not hungry. I was not, uh, I was raised in a really wealthy home. So when I come, I, and I'll give you this example. Um, one day I enter UPS. I was going to send my mom something. And this girl was like, hi, how are you? How are you doing? And I'm like, I'm awesome. How's your day going? And she's like, oh, awesome. Where to in Mexico? I'm like, um, What? Come again? <laughs> no, I am not Mexican. I am Dominican. It, and, and it's that assumption, thinking that we all come for the same reasons. We come from the same background. We are all Mexicans and we're all here. Um, you know, I, I, I think a really good way to change this approach is to ask questions. And it's not... It's, don't assume, yeah. you know. Yeah. Um, let's teach our kids not yeah. to assume, yeah. um, to ask questions, to say, so how is it like um, in your country? Uh, you know, one of the things that I teach my girls, we can buy all many books about um, raising globally minded kids and we can have this talk. But our kids are going to do what they see us do. You know, we can talk about it. We can bring this and check that box. But they're going to do what we model for them. So as, and, and this is for all of us, we all have to model to them. For example, when my kids were little, my best friends, one was from India and another one was African-American. We would cook, to, cook together. We would go out and, and talk about our races and our differences and our culture. And my girls were being raised open-minded to different um, things, to diversity. They love Indian food. They love um, to talk to an African-American and see the beauty in diversity. So I think for us, um, if the question, I love the question, yeah. how can we view, how can uh, the majority, which is a word that I will not use, is the dominant um, yeah. um, culture um, will help us. I think it's by asking the right questions. Don't be afraid to ask questions. Just say like, how is this for you? Yeah. And understand, for example, and I'm sorry I'm taking a long time, but I'm passionate about this. I have three girls that are in college and my twins want to be, they're going for veterinary sciences and it was going to take them a lot more than what it take your kids because they're black they are 
Latin and they're females. Imagine, they're, these are prayers that you would never have to pray. I have to pray really hard, Lord, give them grace and help them overcome because of their status, because of their, those boxes and racial things, they will have to work as twice and triple than maybe your kids. So this is a reality for us. And what I am asking you guys, teach your kids to be sensitive to this reality. It's good. Melissa, did you, oh, good. <laughs> yeah. Um, I've thought a lot about this and I think, if you, I think it starts with us, right? Ourselves. So if you're, I think exactly what you're saying, you know, our kids are watching us. They're watching what we're doing. And so when you meet someone, I think it's good to like walk out of the room and think about how, what do I think when I meet someone, no matter what their skin color is or what they look like, you know, but it's like, what am I thinking? What's the first thing I want to know about that person? Because I think, you know, you've heard this communicated. It's when you hear, what are you? That is hurtful, <laughs> you know, because it's like, well, we all are children of God. But I think it's very natural for our kids to, um, uh, you know, I, what's the word? to create differences in their minds and categories, you know, like it's very natural. It's a very natural thing to do to say, Oh, you look like this. You go here. It's very natural to want to be around people who are like you. (laughs) That's why we love most of us, you know, want to be near our families. It's like, Oh, you're like me. You think like me, you look like me. So I think it's a very, you know, when you're hearing that with your kids, it's like, all of our kids are going to experience that in one way or another, most likely, just because they don't, you know, they're forming what is the world like. Um, and so I think it's important for us to think about why do I want to know that, you know, to really dig a little deeper, like, and, and this is where I say, like, I, I just praise the way my mom, um, she, she was white, she was a single mom, and she just really fought hard. She did not want the world to view me a certain way. Like you're saying, you know, she was scared and she, so I think part of that, we talked about this recently. I said, I think that's great, you know, cause I was a little bit clueless. I didn't feel like I had to fight under those things, but, um, what do I want to say about that? Um, I think it's good to just figure out why you want to know that. So, you know, just like, Oh, why do I want to know that? Am I curious about that person? Or do I want to know what category to put them in? Um, and I think, you know, people, if you stop and thought about it, people make assumptions about you all the time. Right. You know, oh, you live in that neighborhood. Right. This is what you're like. Oh, you're, you know, and so it's like if we can really train ourselves to look at the heart and think about a person's story, I think our children will be inquisitive in that same way. You know, like, so we are trying to teach our kids that in our home, you know, like, one of my daughters right now is noticing in all the books, all the kids in wheelchairs. And so we're talking about that, you know, it's not, not to shame our kids for noticing differences, you know, like it might be embarrassing for us, you know, <laughs> like when we're at the grocery store and our kids point that out. But I, I kind of lean on the side of let, let's be awkward here for a minute with this lady and let's invite it in because we all want to be known, yeah. right? We all want our story yeah. known. Like, who am I? I want the world to know, you know? And so I think if I could say that be my passion is like 
Just stop and like, look, who are you? Where you come from? Do you have a mom and a dad? Do you, you know, there's a lot of assumptions we make about people, but if we can just train our kids to know people, I think that, I mean, that is the heart of Christ. Like we are known by him. Yes. Mm-hmm. It's not a one-time conversation, is it? It's an ongoing thing. Ongoing. Yeah. Um, one of the questions were, was, have you ever been made to feel like an outsider? Um, and my answer to that was yes. And unfortunately, that place that I felt like an outsider was church. Um, when I had first moved here, I went to visit several different churches. Um, and to go into a church where there's no one that looks like you, and no one comes and says hello to you, no one speaks to you it's uncomfortable it's uncomfortable and you are sitting in the house of God and you want people to recognize you and see you Um, so I would challenge everyone to get uncomfortable Mm -hmm. go to visit a church that's predominantly black Mm -hmm. go to an civic organization this black, Hispanic, Asian, mm. and just adapt to that, to them, and to just walk in there. And yes, you're going to be uncomfortable. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I'm not going to, you know, because I know what that feels like. Mm-hmm. And, and that's okay. Mm-hmm. But it's a chance for you to show your children that it is okay mm. to, to be with people who don't look like us, who mm. don't talk like us, mm. who don't think like us. It's really good. I'm going to give two different scenarios that happened to me. Una vez iba a salir con mi familia. I was once um, heading out uh, with my family. Y necesitaba un carro más grande. And I needed a bigger car. Y yo fui a National Car. And uh, I went to rental. a rental, the National Car Rental. Y yo me acerqué a la línea donde estaban los Cadillacs. And I went towards the lanes where there was Cadillacs. Y cuando yo iba a tomar el carro, and when I went to go get the car, uno de los trabajadores salió y me dijo, no, 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 esta no es tu línea. One of the employees came out and said, nope, this is not your lane. ¿Tú estás seguro que tú te puedes llevar un carro así? Are you sure that you can rent this car? Um, era un carro obviamente de 80 mil dólares. It was a car that was worth 80,000 dólares. Y yo estoy rentando en National por más de 17 años. And I've been renting cars from National for over 17 years. Mi posición es Emerald. I'm an Emerald member. <laughs> yo puedo guiar cualquier carro. I can drive any car. Pero él miró mi color. Él miró mi color. He saw my color. Y miró como yo estaba vestido. And he saw how I was dressed. Y eso le, dijo, le dejó saber a él que yo no podía manejar And that told him that I could not rent that car. Entonces... Yo le dije, Señor, lo reprendo o lo mando al cielo. So I said, Lord, do I rebuke him or do I send him to heaven? <laughs> Pero esa es la realidad. But that's the reality. Y eso me pasó a mí. And that happened to me. Otro, otro lugar yo estaba en, en el lugar donde se reposa en un aeropuerto. The other scenario, la, I, was, I was in a lounge at the airport. Y me entró una llamada y yo comencé a hablar español. And I got a phone call and I started speaking Spanish. Una familia se fue levantando primero los padres y después los hijos. A family started to get up, first the parents and then the children. 
Y me dejaron solo en el lugar. And then I was alone in the, in the luxury place. El mensaje que me dieron, no podemos estar al lado tuyo porque tú hablas otro idioma. And the message that I received was, I can't really be near you if you're speaking a different language. Y, y tengo que hablarle un poquito como pastor. And now I have to speak a little bit from, as a pastor. Un pastor me llamó y me dijo, ven a hablar a mi iglesia del racismo. A pastor called me and said, come speak to my church about racism. Háblale a los jóvenes. Speak to the youth. Y yo le dije, penosamente yo no creo que el problema son los jóvenes. And I said, sadly, I don't think the issue is with the youth. Déjame ir a hablar con los padres. Let me go speak to the parents. Porque los padres son los que le enseñan el color. Because parents are the one that teach children the color. Cómo luce la gente buena o mala. How people, how to judge people whether good or bad. Y ellos aprenden más en una conversación del, en la mesa. And they learn more in a conversation at a dinner table. De cómo sus padres ven al mundo. From how their parents are viewing the world. Y mi consejo es hoy es claro para ustedes. And my advice is clear today. Este tipo de reunión lo necesita la iglesia de Dios. These types of meeting the church needs. Porque queremos predicar un evangelio sin color. Because we want to preach a gospel without color. Pero esa no es la real realidad. But that is not the reality. Y gracias por estar aquí. And thank you for being here. Porque ustedes serán vocero de la diferencia. Because you will be uh, the, voice. the voice of the difference. God bless you. So good. I want to pivot to something that could be maybe constructive here and helpful to say, okay, so just if I'm summarizing what we're hearing, we're hearing a lot about empathy, um, understanding that not everyone's experience of even this town is the same of your experience of this town. And, and maybe some of you say, oh, I have some stories like that, but there are probably a lot of these stories that, you, that you've not um, realized. So sometimes when the phrase gets thrown out, white privilege, it gets thrown out in very contentious political things, and how dare you, what is that, and how, you can't say this, I, my family was poor, all that stuff. I, I, think the, I think the only part of it that can be helpful is recognizing that there are a significant amount of things in a society that are calibrated towards norms that match you. A significant amount of things in society that, where the norms are calibrated to fit you. And you could think about that from makeup to Band-Aids to, there's all kinds of stuff, right? There's norms that have been calibrated to work well for you. And other, when, uh, when people don't fit those norms, come in, they say, whoa, how come this doesn't work right for me? Were you not, who were you thinking of, right? Now, we've come a long way in that. We've come a long way in that. But it, it took a while of our girls watching American Girl doll movies or books. And it was like, these are just, it's so great to hear about another Dutch reformed immigrant from Minnesota, you know, but like, got any other stories, you know? <laughs> like, uh, so, so I think, I think there, are, there are ways of realizing, oh my goodness, I, didn't, I hadn't even thought about how much of this was calibrated to norms that fit me, but don't fit someone else. So that, there's an awareness and empathy piece. There's a curiosity piece that I'm hearing from, from the panel, like learn to ask, are good questions. And with kids, you do have the permission for kids to be awkward in some of that curiosity. But along with curiosity, the third thing I'm hearing is particularity. Like, get to the particulars of it. Because if you know one 
this is why I'm personally not even a fan of the designation POC, like person of color. Like, what's that about? Like, there's one gigantic group of people and then there's everyone else. Like, even Vicky and you said Asian. I never knew what box to check on the race thing because it was like Asian. Like, I don't know, that's like a couple billion people, you know? There's India, there's China, there's Japan, there's Korea. Like, there, that, there's a lot there. So sometimes, just for fun, I'd put Pacific Islander. So I'm like, that sounds exotic, you know? Like, <laughs> Malaysia's a peninsula, but, you know, it's, it's okay. Pacific Islander. Because um, what? how do we lump like this? So the more particular we can get, the more significant this would be. So I want, actually, hope to, for you to speak on something very particular here for a moment, if you would be okay with. And that is... We can talk about the minority experience in America, but we would be mistaken if we did not especially talk about the African-American experience in America. Because here we have not just, oh, you happen to be a minority and society was not calibrated for you, you know. Here we have 300 years of systematic oppression, segregation. I just spent last week in Birmingham, Alabama, um, learning a whole lot. Um, walking by the 16th Street uh, Baptist Church where a bomb was thrown in and killed four uh, girls. Um, Walking the park where the children's um, crusade was. Um, Learning about the city's dynamics of white flight and how, you know, a hundred years after slavery is quote-unquote over, and you have systematic economic segregation where you can't buy homes in this neighborhood. I mean, like, I don't know if you all know what redlining is, but that's real. (laughs) So when when we say, oh, those poor parts of the city, how did that become the poor part of the city? Like, do you know that story? Maybe learn that story. Maybe learn how people were refused mortgages so that they couldn't move into certain neighborhoods. I was giving some talks at Samford University, and they're self-aware of their... Um, history and they're like, Samford exists in this rich red brick part because of white flight. Christian schools in the South were created as a way of getting around forced reintegration of the public school system. Did you know that? You know, so many many Christian schools were created so that rich racist Baptists would not have to have integrated send their kids to integrated schools. So even the history of the religious right and the so-called, like, we want to stand against secularism, what if this is not about prayer in schools and this is really about racism? So there you go. (laughs) Hope, talk to us. (laughs) I know I've laid all of that out there. And you don't have to say, you don't have to touch any of that. But I just want to give you an opportunity to speak to a particular uh, perspective. Gosh, sorry. <laughs> it's um, just so many thoughts running through my, my head right now. Um, I grew up a army brat, um, a military wife, and so I grew up with all different cultures. Um, most people assume before they meet me, if they hear me on the phone, that I'm white. I've gone to jobs interviews where they've got my application and they see the name Hope LaMonica and they assume this is going to be a white lady that's coming in for this job. I lived in Louisiana and I went for this interview and I got there and they said, oh, well, thanks for coming. We just wanted to, to meet you. 
didn't ask me any questions. They saw the color of my skin and that was enough. In Colorado Springs, I had a job interview. And when I got there and we're talking and she said, oh, you're not what I expected. So, and I said, did you think I was gonna be white? And she goes, yes. So I have those experiences all the time. Um, gosh, there are days that um, I'll never know my history. I'll never know. I mean, like, you know what your food was from your culture, your Spanish culture, your Asian culture. Your I'll never know that. That was all taken away. That was all left in Africa. You know, and, you know, you hear these stories. Oh, do you eat collard greens? Do you eat fried chicken? No, that's not from my African culture. Um, when I go to do, I did my ancestry DNA, and I can only go back so far. And it's, and it's to slavery. Um, so I'll never know that. My children will never know. I can do a DNA test and know that I'm Cameroon, Congo. Um, I actually went to Africa with Becca and Sue. And even there, they looked at me and they said, you're not pure. Because my blood had been watered down in their eyes. So um, there's a part of that history that makes me sad that I'll never know. Um, it makes me sad that people don't see me for who I am. Or I don't want them to say that they're colorblind. But you said that. I, I, I'm a black woman. That's what you're going to see when you see me. But I want people to know me for yes. who I am yes. and what I stand for. Yes. I don't represent all black people. Right. right. We may be the same hue, but we're not the same human. Come on. So when you see a black person, just I just ask that don't see what you see on TV, that they're all criminals or that they're, um, there's something evil based on what you see. Get to know that person for who they are. See them for them, for who they are. Don't judge them by... Um, the color of their skin, judge them by their character and their values and what they stand for. For your children, you one of the we haven't gotten there. The, one of the questions was, how do you teach your children about racism? I struggled with that question. I went to go ask my Asian friend, a white <laughs> friend, a black friend. I'm like, I don't think I ever really taught my daughters about racism. It was example. Yeah. We had black kids at our house. We had Asian kids at our house, yeah. Hispanic kids, Indian kids. Their friends were the rainbow. Yeah. So I taught them that you love them for who they are as a person. Yeah, it's good. Not by the color of their skin. So when I look at their friend groups now, their friend groups look like the world. And we didn't have to have those hard conversations. Yes, they've had them now that they're adults. But growing up, it starts when they're babies. When you see those videos of 
the little black boy and the little white boy, three and four year old, and they're running to see each other. They don't. When do they learn yeah. that it's not okay That's for right. them to love each other right. for being a different color? That's something that's taught to them. It's good. Thank you, Hope. Thank you. Um, I think there's also a lot of forgotten history in our history books. It wasn't until I was in college taking Asian American ethnic studies courses that I learned about the immigration waves. And, oh, maybe that's why there are Asians living in America. Um, But there's so much forgotten history. And I think even... You know, I've had conversations with people here and there where they say, you know, enough years have passed since slavery in America where it's no longer a factor. But um, the last interracial, anti-interracial marriage law that got repealed or was, what, 1967? The love, yeah. Brown v. Board of Education where segregation was no longer allowed in schools was... 1950s, but it's still happening, you know, and I'm just going to throw this out there, kind of food for thought. (laughs) I know it's going to be controversial, especially in this town, but why are there so many charter schools in this town? (laughs) Anyone have any kind of final thoughts here? And I want to open it up just to a few questions from the room. You're sitting here like, oh my gosh, how do I... So, any other, any final? Uh, I mean, and yo soy hijo de una mujer que era inglesa. My mother was British. Mi apellido es Myler. My my mom's maiden name is Myler. Y ella nunca me enseñó inglés. And she never taught me Spanish. Um, English. Porque en el lugar de mi país donde ella nació. Because where I lived in the Dominican Republic. Le hacían burla. Por ella hablar inglés. They would mock her when she spoke English. Y ella hizo un juramento. So she made a promise. Mi esposa conoció a mi mamá. My wife met my mother. Y ella hablaba un perfecto inglés. And she spoke perfect English. Pero ella dijo, yo no le voy a enseñar inglés a mis hijos. But she said, I will not teach English to my children. Pero yo no quiero que se burlen de Because él. I don't want them to be mocked or made fun of. Lo que quiero decir es con esto. What I want to say with this que no todo nació en América. Is that not every not everything of racism was born here in America. También en nuestros países nosotros In our countries and globally we suffer racism. Hay lugares en mi país donde yo llego y me dicen negro. There are places in the Dominican Republic where I where I show up and they say they call me black. Con eso termino. Yo creo que eh, um, yo iba subiendo un ascensor en, en New York. I was in an elevator in New York City. Y habían unas personas hablando español mal de los negros. And there was someone speaking in Spanish, but speaking bad about blacks. Y yo le dije, no hable así. And I said, don't speak like that. Porque me estaba viendo como un negro. Because he, they thought I was black. Y por poco se desmaya. <laughs> And they almost fainted. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. Can I just say one thing before you? Yeah. Um, uh, yeah, sorry. Um, you guys take a deep breath, okay? Because the, the goal of today is not like, oh my gosh, I feel so guilty, I feel so bad, I go, oh, what do I need to do? So I want to say one positive thing and then one really hopeful thing, the, the most hopeful thing there is. The positive thing is, like Pastor Jeremiah was just saying, America's actually 
maybe the most remarkable country in the world for its sense of obligation of trying to be multicultural. Um, there are a lot of more countries around the world that feel no obligation to be multicultural. They don't at all and feel no obligation to have equality. I mean, the, the American vision is special because we've, we have this ideal that we're supposed to treat people equally. We, and, and so then, by our own ideals, we fail. But that's different than not even having the ideal in the first place, right? So let's, let's praise, that is a remarkable and special thing about America, right? But we're not in this room because we're Americans, we're in this room because we're Christians. And the kingdom has a much bigger vision than that. The, the kingdom's vision is not simply diversity. The kingdom's vision is reconciliation. My friend Rich Velotis, who pastors a church in Queens, likes to say, you can get diversity on the subway car. We can all be on the subway car together and have diversity. That's not the goal. The goal is reconciliation. So in some ways, it doesn't matter if the, the cosmetic look of this room changes or doesn't change. It, 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 I mean, it's great if it reflects our own city and our own community. I think that's a good goal. But the goal is not an even distribution of every ethnic, ethnicity here. The goal is that we come to have reconciliation and unity with one another. And that part of it that Hope said, where get to know me as a person. If you know one um, ethnic minority person's story, you know one, right? So the part, descending into the particulars is important. But the, the gospel doesn't just, is not just a descent, it is also a rise. It's death and resurrection. So you descend into the particulars. What do we ascend to? We ascend to the one name that we're all given. Willie Jennings is a professor at Yale. He's written on race and the Christian imagination. I heard him in an interview recently, and he said, my heart for every church is that no matter how we go into the waters of baptism, we come out of the waters with one word proclaimed over us, and the word is just disciple. That's what we are. We're followers of Jesus. We're followers of Jesus. So there is a descent into the particular. Tell me about you and your story and your experience and all of that. And then there is the rising up out of it and saying, and as a disciple, I'm a disciple, brother, sister, beloved son, beloved daughter. Amen? All right. I just wanted to see if there's any questions out here that we can ask the panel. Hi, so this is kind of specific to me, but my husband and I are adopting from India, a little girl, and we are not Indian. So when we get her home in a few months here, and as she grows, how do I make sure that we are embracing her um, ethnicity, doing it justice, uh, making sure that she knows she's unique and beautiful in like, her ethnicity, and how can we like embrace that and cultivate it? And since it's, you know, we aren't, we don't, it's not who we are, so, and how do I make sure that, you know, what am I trying to say, um, that there's no prejudice, you know, coming from us, of course, unintentionally, but how do I make sure, you know, that we're doing that the right way? Any thoughts? I would like to say something about that. Just teach her, uh, just teach her how beautiful it is uh, being Indian and the, you know the richness of their culture just speak to her about how beautiful she is as a human and as a daughter of God don't try to hide things um, speak about her skin color how pretty and how privileged she is to be different so I think it's just speaking truth to the lies that we've been told. And I want to say to you guys, we don't want to be here like pointing fingers at you and making you guys pay for probably things that happened 
in the back that you guys or none of us are responsible. Um, you have an opportunity to help us and our kids, you know? So I just see in front of me women of the kingdom that are going to do amazing things with their kids. And one of the things that I think we can be effective teaching our kids is speaking truth to the light that the schools are teaching them. Ask questions. Take up the opportunity. When you see a weird ad or, or something in Facebook, just talk about it. Say, let me give you the right perspective. Let's talk about this. And, and, and just let's raise kids that are um, taught the truth of the kingdom, that we are not how we look, but we are what God says we are. They're his kids, yeah. you know, and kingdom people. Yeah. Amen. And I love all my wife friends. I learned so much from you guys. You guys are awesome. I love you. Oh. Yeah, hi. So in an effort to um, raise kids who are not colorblind, but also to uh, recognize their innate curiosity... Obviously, some questions like what are they or what country are you from are not helpful. They're isolating questions. What are questions that our kids could ask that give value to people but, but recognize their very normal curiosities? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I, honestly, <laughs> a question that you would ask anybody. I, I think what's hard about the question, because maybe it's like, you know, we, we have conversations about this with our kids, obviously, who are biracial like, well, what's so, what's, what, why is that question weird? Why does that question kind of stick? Because it implies, well, all of us are, you're different. So instead of asking a question that is, just say, hey, tell me about your family. Like, I'd ask that to anybody. If I sat down to lunch with a new church member, but tell me about yourself, tell me about your family. Um, rather than, so where were you born? You know, like, are you, you're instantly telling me, oh, you notice I'm different than you. My kids and I were reading a book recently called Spoon. Have you guys seen it? It's a kid's book. And it, it's just a story about a spoon talking with a fork and a knife and all their positive characteristics. <laughs> but um, then the chopsticks came in and they were like, ooh, so exotic. Um, and my kids were like, we use those all the time. <laughs> so I think just developing critical thinking skills in your kids to be able to like read books and point things out and say, hey, what does exotic mean? What do you think Vicky's daughter, Charlie, would say about chopsticks? Would she call them exotic? You know, just really being comfortable in those kinds of critical thinking dialogues. Yeah. I think it's good to remember that um, our normal isn't everyone else's normal. You know, and so just just kind of remembering that, practicing oh yeah, not everyone does life just like me or eats the same thing, you know, just whatever it is. And so it's like, I think actually, you know, thinking about another family is a good, that's a good practice of selflessness too. You know, it's just like, it's not about me. <laughs> you know, there's, there's a lot going on out there in the world. And um, yeah, I, I, I just thought of a few practical things that we do on a regular basis that I think are really easy to do. Um, you probably all know of Library 21C, but you may have not gone to like the library in the South End. And so like just, I, I know a lot of you have littles, you know, like me too. Um, just practicing like visiting different libraries that, you know, I mean, and this, this is like 
for me, you guys, a wake-up call. Like, we did go to the library at the South End, and my two-year-old hit one of these poles because she was busy staring at the classroom that was, there were no white kids there. But I realized, oh my goodness, like, she doesn't see this. We need to do this more often. I mean, she was, I was like, you got to look forward, but she's just enthralled, you know, just like, um, or like there's Asian grocery stores all around. And so we've gone to some festivals or just immersing your kids just to see different things. There's a lot that you can do if you just get online and just see what's going on in the city. It is going on all around us. And so I think um, just these, because I, I think I empathize with y'all, like just... Um, like maybe the thought of like, well, I don't know anyone, right? Like, where do I start? Like, I can't have my kids have like the rainbow of friends. I, you know, like who am I just going to say, Hey, can you be my kid's friend? You know, like, like we, I think I, I really think about that. It's like, well, we can make a purposeful, you know, effort to get out of our comfort zone and just like, let's go explore or like just making an effort to do that. Um, it doesn't mean that all of a sudden you need to, because that, that could be hurtful too, right? Like, I've experienced that. Well, you're my black friend, Melissa. It's like, well, you know, like you, you want to be friends with someone and love someone for who they are, not just so you can check your, you know, diversity box. So I think just think outside of your individual box and then go bring your kids with you and say, we're going to do that. Tell them, you know, hey, we're going to go explore a new culture today. We're going to eat at this restaurant that we've never thought to eat at or something like that. Any other questions? Sort of back along the book lines, my daughter is almost three and she is just beginning to notice like differences in all types of people and she doesn't really have the language yet to ask questions or to get those thoughts out. Do you have any more book like resources? She loves stories that might expand along those lines. I, I was thinking, I have a lot of resources I could send you, Holly. Maybe you could send out, but, and I'm sure you do, too. Uh, <laughs> Holly, the book lady. Um, yeah, and there's, there's lots of books. I mean, I think you might not know of what they are, but there are a lot of children's books that are very age-appropriate to talk about diversity, racism, slavery, um, all of those things. Thank you. Yeah, I think, I think that's one thing that's been helpful for us is in the absence of maybe those relationships that you would would be great for your kids to have and yeah not making this awkward i'm going to seek this person out because they are different than me i think books have been a piece of this puzzle for us and you know me being picture books about kids from maybe it is from another country or you know child growing up in an african country and learning about that but also i think it's great when we find kids that you know of just different cultures, different color, living in America and having a life in America and not always being characterized as like being really different. So I think both of those are really good. But yeah, I can, I'll get some from Melissa and I have a bunch too that I can recommend. Yeah. One book um, that I love to talk about this is Fish is Fish. It's an amazing book. I could send Holly the um, information, but it's a, about a little black little fish that at the end in the story becomes the key for the success of all the other little fish that don't. And then when you're reading that book with your kids, you, you start pinpoint the strength and being different. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Hi, I just wanted to express appreciation for the courage it took to get up here and um, talk about some of the grief that you hold. So, and I 
witness that today. And I also wanted to say I appreciate just creating like a window and a space for this conversation. So, Holly, yes. thank you. Um, and realizing as I'm sitting here that I can, I'm resonating with a lot of what you all are saying. Um, I grew up in a biracial home, but it was just mostly confusing, a lot of what you were saying, Melissa, but also um, not knowing what to do or having, like, I, my question is, having biracial kids, um, I wasn't given the affirmation either way. Um, and so I'm wondering, like, the kinds of things you've mentioned, like, telling your daughters they're beautiful and how, you know, people don't get to see this type of hair or whatever. Um, just other examples, I guess, because now with my own kids, you know, the way that just God creates us, like, um, the question I get asked a lot is like, well, how long have you been married? Because my oldest daughter is really dark, darker than me. Um, and then her brothers have blonde hair and green and blue eyes. So, um, <laughs> so I think I've, it took me several years to realize why people are asking me that question. And I think it's because they thought that I had a previous relationship um, with someone with darker skin. Uh, so now I'm like really aware when that comes up. And um, yeah, so I guess just helping or people, you know, there's, I have a lot of my own examples, but just how do you re affirm your own children um, in that space? That's a great question, and it's because we we are also responsible in raising healthy kids spiritually and, and morally and emotionally. So I, my mom, you won't believe it because I know, but my mom is white with blue eyes. And I grew up in the Dominican Republic. That was never a problem. People understood that we could be white, we could be white in different colors, right? But when we got here, I had to... My little daughter told me one day, Mom, can you come from, to school with me? Because no one believes you're my mom. You know, my, my, my friends are saying that their moms are telling them that I'm adopted. adopted. And I'm like, oh, okay, so we're going to go. And I started befriending the moms and saying, no, uh, you know, we will go together to pick up Hannah so people can see why Hannah it's a little darker than me. So what did I do? I could say to Hannah, like, oh, that's so mean. That's so wrong. But I said, I need to raise a healthy young lady. And I said, Hannah, they don't mean it. You know, I, because we can be speaking mean things to them and then um, creating this hate and this insecurity and this, I want to get back at them and I'm going to show them that, no, that's not the approach. The approach is speaking life to them. Um, we are the ones that have to um, erase all those negative comments with positive ones and saying, Hannah, it's not their fault. You know, I, it happened to me too. You know, um, we are so different and that's beautiful. Okay, sorry. And it's just been saying, reminding her, what does the Lord say? about you. You know, you are such a great person. You are everything that is inside of you, not outside of you. So we also have to speak life into them and say, you, Hannah, 
Don't listen to that. No, the moms are not saying that. Maybe they didn't hear right. You know what? We're going to go and we're going to be friends with them and we're going to invite them home. So Hannah was seeing a model of love, not of confrontation. So she learned when her friends would say that to to her, she was ready to say, oh yeah, no, it's because my mom, we're Dominicans. Because we get things like, um, my, my daughters were born in New Jersey, all four of them. And they would say like, where are you from? Oh, we're from New Jersey. No, where are you from? <laughs> things like that. And I'm like, oh, you mean my ethnicity. So I'm creating vocabulary. That's right. I am telling them, this is how you answer this, okay? And we teach people. So we had to give them tools to, to, to defend ourselves and to be healthy and say, oh, you mean my ethnicity? Yeah, my parents are from the Dominican Republic. Have you ever been? Oh my God, we have the best beaches. And then <laughs> you teach them, you know? <laughs> we have a responsibility to, cre- to raise health healthy kids. Amen? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, Really quick. Sorry. Oh, um, and I shared the story earlier of my daughter being called flat face and all that stuff. Anyway, the ending to that is my husband and I have come to conviction that we don't want to raise just, just healthy kids and future believers in Christ, but we are going to raise future missionaries, and we're going to bring it back to the great commission, right, where we are going to go out and preach the gospel to all nations. Um, And every part of their story um, is going to help spread the gospel. Um, And for all of your children, too, right, it's going to require cross-cultural ministry. (laughs) So just really praying into that and praying for that, I think, that your kids will be future missionaries. I could tell lots of stories, but um, yeah, I'll just share one in that I can relate to the, I guess I would just say, I think it's helpful for us, like many of you have said, just to open our minds and not assume things when we see family. So I can relate to your story, Anna, with specifically my oldest daughter, who's a little bit darker than the other one. So we've gotten a lot more things, but people often don't associate us together. When she was little, I would carry her around New Life and people would say, oh, did you adopt her? And, you know, I got that a lot, but never with my other kids. So that was kind of interesting. Um, But now as she's gotten older, we go into places and people never think that we're like they'll talk to me and then they'll look to her and say oh ma'am can I help you Um, which not I'm not saying they should assume that but just I think well I don't know about that (laughs) but just to kind of to open our minds to not having a script in our mind of like of what this is what this situation obviously is and kind of like what Megan's saying I do have kind of a last funny story to share um my girls are in a theater company and this was a while back but um she I came up to kind of sit near my oldest and um she was sitting near this boy who was in her theater company he said Sophia can I have some of your food and she's like no I really need my food and um I just come up and um so then I'd asked her like just hey can can I, I didn't bring anything to this rehearsal can I have a little bit of that so he saw her giving it to me and he goes well why are you giving her your food and she goes well she's my mom and he the look of like horror on his face of like just never even crossing his mind that that could be the case you know so anyway some funny stories like that but the theater story is an interesting one because in a previous 
theater company that the girls were part of, um, they would never get cast as a lead, but also the stories were all stories of um, European or Western um, fairy tales or whatever. And so Holly had this strong conversation with the theater director and said, Are you, w- would you be open to like casting uh, you know, someone who Or would they only be cast as animals? Yeah. I mean, basically, that's what it was. It was like, let's do Narnia. And no, you couldn't be one of the Pevensey kids, but you could be one of the you know, the beavers or something, you know? And, um, and so this lady like struggled with it. Well, no, you know, it's okay. You have to, you know, we switched to another theater company a couple years later. Sophia got, was cast as Annie and, and I, and some of you saw her in that. And it helps that we had a movie come out, the re kind of version of Annie with uh, an African-American girl. So the point is we don't realize how much of even life and culture is calibrated towards people who look a certain way. And so some of those things are just another kind of example of that. It's hard to find church, too, that feels that way, too. So I'm Latina. My husband's white, which means that, like, what do I do with my kid? Do I take him to Nueva Vida? Do I stay at New Life downtown? Do I split my time? Do I... Because I grew up in a Spanish-speaking church, and so it's like I feel like I'm shorting him of an experience, but I love my community. But he doesn't really know anybody that looks like him in his classroom. He has more kids at his daycare that look like him. And so church is complicated, too. And I, I'm just so, like, convicted sometimes. When, I do, when we do things like this, I'm like, where do I fit, yeah. right? Like, I feel so similar to y'all. So I say that <laughs> there's no actual, like, solution here. But I'm curious, like, just so much in the same way, like, what do you do when you have such an compulsion to just be faithful to where God is calling you, right? But then also wanting so deeply to honor the traditions that you came from that God also honors. Like, ugh. That's how I feel about that. Yeah, I would like to say something about that. So, expose them to their culture, you know, even though you feel comfortable with your group and they're learning this and, but expose them because they need to know, you know, they one day are going to be like, yeah, they one day are going to be like, man, I wish I would have known, you know, and we are so blessed that Pastor Brady and Glenn and we are taking this different approach to, you know, our community. Now you have Iglesia Nueva Vida. Hello. <laughs> so we have a lot of um, um, Americans and, and white people that come and worship with us, and they bring their kids, and their kids see us, how we jump and how we're passionate, and, and they're all like, <laughs> I go to them in the welcoming center, and I'm like, did we scare you? <laughs> and they're like, no, no, we're good. But it's important that they see how other people uh, relate to Jesus and how they're passionate and how, you know, they're loud and, and how they believe. And, 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 and it's important. You're all welcome to come on Sunday. Okay. So, you know, it's important. Expose them to culture. Now, you know, Pastor Brady opened this huge door. Um, this is the largest church in the city, and now we have a Hispanic um, part where our kids, and let me tell you something about um, going on missions, because sometimes we're teaching the kids the wrong thing, like, oh, we go there to help them, because they're poor, because they need us, need us because they have less than us, and that's not the right approach. 
we gotta reach everyone. It's not about the poor. It's not because a lot of the missionaries just go to the parts where there's so much poverty, and then our kids are not seeing the richness of our countries and how there's also a lot of professional people and how there's um, many great things. So when you are um, bringing kids, I'm preaching. Sorry. (laughs) I'm so sorry, Holly. Will you invite me again? (laughs) Sorry. (laughs) But, you know, I just want us to be healthy. I think that's the, that's, you know, like the Latin American, they don't only, there's poverty in our city. You know, there's a lot of kids that also need to be adapted here and that need a hand of love. And we need to be missionary here, too, and speak life not only to the poor and the needy. Yeah. (laughs) Go ahead. Hey. (laughs) Well, let's give this amazing group of people a hand and thank them for being here. Oh, okay, sorry. Go ahead, Hope. I had two things that I had wrote down and I think they were just, yeah. Um, If I could leave you with one thing, uh, two things. Um, Diverse unity is moving from tolerating our differences but celebrating our uniqueness. Um, And the last thing is just be the change. Um, The change I want to see must first begin with me. So it's all up to us to be the change that we want to see in the world. Beautiful. Thank you. Well, ladies, we've got about 10 minutes to to talk a little bit. And um, panelists, you're welcome to stay and talk with us or go if you need to go. But thank you again so much.